Hey everybody, Joseph here, one of the pastors at the First Presbyterian Church of Flint, and I wanted to welcome you to our sermon podcast, a show that features the latest sermons preached here at First Pres. But first, a little bit about us. The First Presbyterian Church of Flint is an historic downtown congregation, proudly part of the Presbyterian Church USA, the largest Presbyterian denomination in the United States. We have a vibrant and thriving ministry to our neighbors here in Flint and are engaged weekly in worship, faith formation, a dynamic ministry to kids and teenagers, and community building across generations. You can learn more at fpcf.org. You can check out our weekly live stream broadcasts on our channel on YouTube. But better yet, you can stop by any Sunday at 930 to worship with us. We'd love to welcome you and your family to worship. Now, here's this week's sermon. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let the church of Jesus Christ say, amen. While I attended seminary, I worked for Apple computers as a Mac specialist at their retail store in downtown Pasadena where we sold Macs and iPods. Now this was 2006, this was a full year before the first iPhone was released, but even then the store was nearly always packed with people and we'd always have a dozen, 18 or so sometimes of staff members on the floor to help answer questions and swipe credit cards. And as my job at the Apple store was in selling things, Apple took a particular interest in how well Mac specialists were doing in selling things. Our sales performance was tracked in great detail, and a spreadsheet of our performance by the last four weeks was posted in the back on an employee bulletin board. We were tracked in sales volume measured by dollars, We were tracked according to how often our successful sales included what Apple called essential attachments, things like extended warranties, additional services, and paid training lessons. We were tracked by what percentage of our sales were computers, what percentage were iPod devices, and what were other accessories the store sold. We were tracked by how often we were able to sell a case to go along with the iPods we sold. We were tracked by customer satisfaction based on feedback we solicited from customers who were happy with their experience. And all of this data was there on this spreadsheet, arranged in order by who sold the most stuff so we could all feel a little competitive. It was really helpful data to have if your goal is to measure sales. Here it is. In a nutshell, you're good in sales. Here's the hard data that proves it. You could use that data, as many of my colleagues did, to leverage themselves into a coveted full-time position or perhaps an increase in your hourly rates. You could bring that data with you if you ever left the Apple retail environment to work for a different company selling different products. The sales data was there, and at the Apple retail stores, the data told the tale. 
That was Apple. When it comes to work in pastoral ministry, however, it's a bit of a different story. There is an essential untidiness to pastoral ministry that seminary education tries to prepare you for, but which no one can really lecture you about. You just have to experience it for yourself. And when I say untidiness, I do not mean that the job is chaotic or messy, though like most jobs, it can be. When I say it is untidy, I'm not speaking of the character of the pastor that makes it untidy. It's just more of an occupational hazard. In the late medieval period, pastors had a name for this aspect of pastoral work, this essential untidiness. They called it the cura animarum, the care of souls. It's a messy business, caring for souls, as it were. It's an unquantifiable job, a job that boasts no metrics, no performance graph to determine how the soul-caring project is going. Part of the calling of pastors like Paul or myself is wading with you into the deep waters of unanswerable questions, indeterminable mysteries, and soul-wrenching heartaches. It comes through conversation. It comes through visits. It comes through time spent prayer in prayer as we hear reports of emergency room visits and scheduled medical tests. The care of souls is part of our job, but it's really, really hard to measure or to know what's actually helping to do the job well. I mean, there's no spreadsheet hanging in the back office area that posts how many essential spiritual attachments Paul or I have sold you to go along with the spiritual care we've been called to provide. There's no preaching scorecard to know what percentage of our sermons were being actively discussed during the weeks and what percentage were forgotten as soon as the service is over. Pastoral work is a qualitative calling. It's not really quantifiable by any universally agreed upon metrics of success. There is an essential untidiness to pastoral ministry. This is why at the seminary I went to, our pastoral mentors often encouraged us, find a hobby to get into, they would say. Crafting, gardening, woodworking, baking, welding, golfing, running, cycling, whatever. Find something that your hands or legs can do that once you've finished, you can say with quantifiable certainty, yes, the job is done and I have the product or the mileage report to prove it. It's a helpful thing to balance the essential untidiness of pastoral calling, and it could save your mental well-being, they said in church. I'm here to say it's true. I love the hobbies I've been able to cultivate. I love the chores I get to do, even cutting the grass with a push mower, because I'm able to make measurable, observable progress in trimming my eight-inch grass because I let it go too long, blah, 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 down to a respectable three inches. I love to bake for the same reason. It's comforting to see how basic ingredients can emerge from the pantry and form a delicious pan of rosemary and garlic focaccia bread. I wonder if there's not something of the Almighty in each of us, he who hacked back the chaos of the unformed world and planted a garden just to admire it and call it very good. I mean, maybe God gave us the Sabbath and commanded us to observe it, so that we might take a moment to look back on our week of work and measure for a moment what we were able to accomplish and let go of all that we could not. But in any case, I think there is a tension in our lives, whether you're a pastor or not, between the quantifiable and the qualitative work 
we perform. Spending time sitting with aging parents, qualitative work. Clipping the basil leaves and weeding the flower beds, quantitative. Dealing with your kids' weirdly, weirdly passionate arguments about nonsense topics, qualitative. Cleaning a bathroom, quantitative. Navigating all the emotions that come with a sudden health concern that sprang up in our life without asking our permission, qualitative. Organizing the medication we now have to take in those tidy plastic days of the week, pillboxes in the cabinet above the sink, quantitative. See what I mean? There's a difference between the measurable, observable, quantifiable part of our life and the work that we do that we're not really sure if we're doing it right. In our gospel text today, we encounter a collision between the quantifiable and the qualitative aspects of Christian discipleship. You're undoubtedly familiar with this tale. At this point in the gospels, Jesus is making his way south to Jerusalem. He's taking the beeline approach, the shortest possible route, and he ends up staying at the home of some friends, two sisters, in fact, who lived somewhere between Galilee and Jerusalem, whose names were Martha and Mary. Now, in Luke's gospel, we don't get to know anything more about their background. We don't know about their family situation, their education, their ages, how long ago they met Jesus, how well they knew him. If all we had was Luke's gospel, well, this would be the only time in the whole book that Martha and Mary are mentioned at all. In John's gospel, we learn that these same two sisters have a brother whose name was Lazarus and that their dad may have been a guy named Simon. We, we also learn that Jesus was best friends with Lazarus and that when Lazarus was really, really sick, his sisters, Mary and Martha, sent for Jesus to come and help. But in Luke's gospel, we know none of this, which means that all we have to go on is what Luke gives us, which is this brief story of Jesus visiting and presumably spending the night Martha's frustration that she's left doing all the work of getting the meal ready and making all the preparations while her sister, her other host, is sitting and listening to Jesus teach his disciples. Martha is doing the qualitative, quantitative work, the measurable, the observable, the work which requires hands and feet to accomplish. The meal required bread and meat and a set table and poured wine, and that requires time. It required effort. It required the ability and the will to create and accomplish. Mary is doing the qualitative work, the immeasurable work, the listening work, the work that requires your soul's attention, your heart's focus. It requires patient devotion and an attentive spirit. Now, church, Martha's active work of discipleship should not be discounted. The task-oriented work of showing hospitality and providing for the needs of the hungry is not to be looked down upon. For too long, this text has been used to lambaste the Marthas of the world as if what she's doing in the text is totally wrong. It's been used in countless sermons to shame the task-oriented quantitative work of people and make them feel like they're not doing the true and necessary work of, quote, sitting with Jesus, whatever that means for us today. It's been used as a metaphor for the law of the Old Testament, symbolized by Martha working away in the kitchens, and the gospel 
of the New Testament, characterized by Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, out with the old and in with the new, according to some preachers. But nothing, nothing could be farther from the truth. If you scan back a few verses in Luke's gospel from today's story, you'll find the parable of the Good Samaritan, a story that my colleague Lisa Horn preached on last week. And in that story, it's abundantly clear that the task-oriented, quantitative work of caring for the least of these is absolutely central to what it means to be part of God's kingdom. You can't get around it. If you go back even farther in Luke chapter 10, you'll find Jesus' instructions that the disciples should bless the homes of the people who were actively showing them hospitality, which means people who were doing exactly what Martha is doing in today's text. See, I think Martha's efforts here to provide a meal for Jesus, to extend hospitality to his disciples, to be a good host, I think that these are absolutely part of what it means to follow Jesus. I mean, wasn't the whole point of the Good Samaritan that the priest and the Levite rejected the task-oriented nature of providing care for the wounded man? I mean, wasn't the Samaritan praised for his 12 decisive verbal actions that, it, that he took to make sure the man was going to be okay. Task-oriented people in the pews rejoice. Today's gospel text isn't about converting you into being something that you're not. But in our gospel text today, Martha wants Jesus to weigh in on which type of work is more important. Surely her sister should be helping her do the physical work, the measurable work, the hands-on work, right? I mean, surely the quantifiable work means more than the qualitative work, right, Jesus? Or to use Martha's words from verse 40, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha is busy getting things ready. Mary is busy sitting near Jesus. Well, which one of these is more important, Jesus, huh? Martha and all of us really want to know. Is it more important to sit at your feet or to organize and plan and prepare and execute so that guests can be fed? What is it, Jesus? The quantitative or the qualitative? What matters more to God? But that's not really the question Jesus answers today. Because in fact, it's the wrong question. The gospel text today is not about determining what kind of work is right and what kind of work is wrong. It's not about a binary pair of opposites of which only one is correct. Martha's hospitality is gospel work. Mary's work at Jesus' feet is gospel work. Both are good things. Both are part of the kingdom. The question in this brief passage is not about right and wrong. It's more about discerning which one of them is the best yes in a given situation. It's about knowing when the right thing to do is to prepare a meal and when the right thing is to sit yourself in the presence of somebody else devoted to what they are saying. It's about knowing whether a situation we find ourselves in requires quantitative or qualitative work. It's about knowing what kind of work is necessary and what sort of work can be set aside for a time. 
Jesus says in verse 41, Martha, you're worried and distracted by many things, while only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen a good part, and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus' chiding of Martha isn't about the hospitality she's organizing, which was her way of saying yes to Jesus. Rather, Jesus gets on her case because she is despising her sister for discerning that a different yes to Jesus was required at that moment. Jesus essentially tells Martha, learn to discern what the best yes is. Discover when it is best to do the measurable task-oriented work and when it is best to to do the immeasurable, people-oriented work. Jesus indirectly praises Mary by saying, Mary's weighed the options, and she's chosen what, is the, what she thought was the best yes in this present moment, and if Jesus is to be taken at his word, what Mary chose was the better part for this situation. And why? Well, this will be the last time we ever hear Mary and Martha's name in Luke's gospel. We don't know if they get to see Jesus again before he dies. So yeah, in this moment, spending time with Jesus, learning from him, listening to him, laughing with him is a better yes than counting heads and washing dishes. What is the best yes in a given moment? It's routinely hard to know in the moment. With both being good kingdom choices, we have to choose what is the best yes and what is the less best yes. I think that discernment is at the heart of today's gospel reading, and I think that it means something different for us today, 2,000 years after Jesus sat in Mary and Martha's family room. Church, we live in a cultural moment where we are faced with a similar dilemma, forced to discern when to put on our Good Samaritan actions and do all the tasks on behalf of others, the way of Martha, and when we need to take up the way of Mary and spend time sitting at the feet of Jesus by showing up to public worship, by joining in our acts of prayer and exploration of the scriptures, and also just by taking walks in the early morning light and listening for the voice of God and the birdsong and the wind whipping by. It is tantalizing to disregard the way of Mary and embrace the way of Martha alone. The work of service, of advocacy, of preparing and serving meals, of rounding things up to donate and give away, of giving our time and energy to any number of honorable efforts to reduce poverty or combat disease or ease the plight of the suffering, the, the, the quantitative work of aiding relief efforts, of writing letters to elected officials, of attending neighborhood association meetings, of being on volunteer cleanup efforts, and all of the good, important, vital work so many of you are so good at doing this sort of work Kingdom work, though it is, can become so attractive to us because of the measurable quality it produces that we can begin to think that's all that matters. This sort of work is the modern way of Martha. Is it important? Yes. Is it vital? Yes. Is it part of God's kingdom activity? You better believe it. Is it the only necessary thing? Is the future of the church solely quantitative? Is it one in which we can track our numbers of how much time, energy, resources we've given away and post it in the break room along with the other churches and compete for who is being church the best? Absolutely not. 
The kingdom path is not an either or fork in the road path. It's a both and highway. It's both the way of Martha and the way of Mary. They are both required activities for us. As a church, we cannot and we will not set aside the time we give to sit at the feet of Jesus in weekly worship. We cannot and will not set aside our faith formation efforts, our opportunities to learn and practice the way of Jesus together, to pray with and for one another, to come to this sanctuary and allow the music to guide us farther up and further in along the path that leads to the presence of God. We, we cannot and we will not say that the work we do here is somehow less important than the work we're doing out there. This work, the way of Mary, is not quantifiable. It is not measurable. It is essentially untidy. Coming to worship can seem like a silly thing to do when the world is tearing apart at the seams, and it doesn't surprise me at all that folks are leaving church and that attendance in worship across the denominational board is in decline. It feels vastly more important to do the quantitative work of Martha, the work you can look back on like a freshly mowed lawn and just feel the accomplishment. But despite this, today's gospel reading reminds us that while it makes little sense to anyone else, the way of Mary is central to following Jesus. Sitting at the feet of Jesus in weekly worship through prayer and listening and learning and community, this work is not to be disregarded lightly, for here we are returned to ourselves. Here we find a fresh spark of hope in the baptismal font and the words that we have been forgiven. Here we sit like disciples to hear an ancient book opened and read and to receive its summons to a different way of life, one that ultimately ends in peace. We just can't explain. Here we're given bread and wine and told it's a gift from God for us, no matter what happened yesterday or what's going to happen tomorrow. Here we sit alongside people who don't agree with us about much else save the 12 statements of the Apostles' Creed, but they're family to us because of Jesus. Here we come week after week to do the immeasurable work of Mary, discovering that the more we do, the more we sit with the one whom the scriptures say all things hold together, here we're able better to discern the best yes in the world and our work out there. Church, I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let the church of Jesus Christ say, Amen.